my special privilege and honor this morning to introduce to you uh, my friend, Dr. Felicia LeBoy, who is the Assistant Professor of Black Studies at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary. She's also the head of the Doctor of Ministry program there. Uh, she is a great teacher, highly in demand as a preacher. Uh, next weekend she's preaching somewhere and next weekend somewhere else. But she has chosen to call Middletown Christian Church her church home when she is in town and when she's teaching. When she's not here and when she's not on the road, uh, she is from Chicago. She's back home there with her husband, Adrian, who was in worship with us last weekend. But Dr. LeBoy uh, was first introduced to our church through uh, Kathy Mapes, one of our long-term elders in our church, who worked with Felicia, said, you must come to Middletown. And she's been coming since last March. And it's been a wonderful thing to welcome her to our church. I don't introduce to you just a great speaker, just a great preacher, just a great teacher. This morning I introduced to you a colleague and a person of encouragement to me and a prayer partner and a friend. Let's give a round of welcome and appreciation this morning to Dr. Felicia LeBoy. As she makes her way to the pulpit this morning, let's bow our heads now for a word of prayer. Gracious and holy God, we thank you today for the worship. We thank you just for the opportunity to gather and to sing your praise. And we thank you for our preacher that you have chosen this morning to bring a good word for our church. Freshly anoint this preacher this morning with your grace and your power that we may have a vision through the words that she brings this morning of who you are calling us to be. And not just who you're calling us to be as a church, but as people, as individuals. Speak a word this morning. Your servants are here ready to listen. And our ears are open to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every time Pastor Dave introduces me, I keep wondering, who is he talking about? <laughs> Would you please join me in just giving um, the man of God, the shepherd of this house, the pastor of his house, uh, Pastor David Emery, just give him a round of praise. Let him know how much we appreciate and thank him. Everybody don't get good preachers. You think I'm kidding, but they don't. I don't take it for granted that he's allowed me to be in this pulpit. I don't take for granted his friendship and his encouragement to me, which has been a great blessing. I don't take for granted this church and those folks that, uh, that have reached out to me. My service is usually the one before this, and I sit in the back. So it's a little funny for me being up front, because I keep saying, what's going to happen next? And then I was like, oh, yeah, you. <laughs> um, so very grateful for Kathy Mapes, my colleague at um, Louisville Seminary, whose office was beside mine, who was insistent that I come. It's been a great joy for my life. And grateful for my friends Larry Vallon and Iris Jasmine and Susan DeLuca, who also attend this church. Very thankful for my student, Chris Cherry, uh, who's accused me, I guess, of preaching in class. I didn't know I was doing that. I was hoping I was teaching, but all right, I'll take that one. And one of the things I really appreciate about being here is that I, what I have discovered in these 25 years of walking with God, that no matter what your title, no matter how many degrees that you have or don't have, all of us need a coach. 
And all of us need someone to help us be better at what we are doing. And all of us, especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians, need someone to challenge us. We don't come every Sunday like we're coming um, to Walmart just to take in whatever we're going to get and then walk out like we shouldn't be changed. But God, in the person of David Emery, has seen fit to appoint him as our Holy Ghost coach to tell us which way God would have us to go, not only as individuals but as a body together. And so while I was politely minding my own business, Pastor Dave invited me to lunch. And as we began to talk, he said, hey, why don't you come and preach for me? And then the next thing I know, I sat here, and then I found out he's inviting everybody to go to lunch with somebody. (laughs) And as I sat here, I thought, what would I say? Gosh, what am I going to say to these folks that I've come to love and enjoy? And then he not only invited us to invite other folks to lunch, he invited us to ask someone different from us from lunch. And as I began to ponder that challenge, I began to try to figure out one of two things. One was, am I the person inviting someone to lunch or am I the other person being invited to lunch? (laughs) Is God asking me to cross a boundary or is he inviting someone to cross a boundary with me? And so as I pondered these two scriptures, I felt like God spoke something, not only I hope for me, but I hope something that will give some insight into all of us, maybe into how we can become the people that God intends for us to be. I really want us to ponder together what God might be doing through Pastor Dave's challenge to invite someone other than us to lunch in this Lenten season in light of Acts 1 and 8. Now, normally this scripture, which says, but you, talking about each of us, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we will be his witnesses, telling people about him everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Normally this passage is preached right after Easter. It is designed to remind us the Holy Spirit is coming. But for those of us who live past Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come. He's, it's proclaimed in our baptism that we are baptized not only by water, but we are baptized by the Spirit. So friends, I came to tell you that this message is not only for the disciples gathered there, but it is also for us. I think this passage is is important for us as we think about inviting others to come and, and go to lunch with us who may be different from us because I think Christ is asking us to talk about where our allegiance lies. Do we really believe that Christ is King and Jesus is Lord? Will we, are we ready to proclaim a coming kingdom? Will there be no more crying, no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow? A kingdom where the wolf shall lie down with the lamb and where there'll be war no more. And that kingdom in which you and I are called to be God's ambassadors, proclaiming a message of reconciliation, not only with humans, with God, but with one another. So I want to suggest that if we take a closer look at Acts 1 and 8 and we read it from the perspective of those first followers of Christ, we might really learn what God is trying to do with us through this Lenten challenge of just taking someone to lunch. Let's look a little bit deeper at this passage. In it, you'll notice that Jesus gives the disciples 
a charge. Wanting you to go to four specific places, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At first, it sounds like they're just going on a mission trip and that this may have nothing to do with us. But I want to suggest to you, friends, that they were not going on a mission trip, that God really was intending to change their heart as they reached out to others. Also, I want to suggest that God never calls us just to go on a mission trip. God invites us to be changed as we meet others. And as we meet others, what we find is that just because they look differently, that we all bleed the same. And under Christ, we are one. So Jesus gives this charge to the disciples, go to Jerusalem and Judah. And in my Holy Ghost imagination, I can hear Peter going, what? Go to Jerusalem. Jesus, don't you know that's where they crucified you? That's where we denied you. That's where we lied on you. You want us to go back there. Those folks know who we are. We're not sure that they even like us. They've given us word not to talk about religion or politics. Jesus, are you sure you want us to go back to Jerusalem? We could be killed. We could be ostracized. I want to tell you, are you sure that you want me to go to Jerusalem and Judah? And while that was the word to Peter, I just wonder in this Lenten challenge over lunch, if God might not be wanting to send us to family and friends, folk who know us, who knew us before we got to church, who knew how we were and about how we did things and who knew us at our worst. Does God want us to talk to them about Jesus? Does God want to send us to folks that look like us, work with us, share the same race, class, gender, sexual orientation as us, but those who put the limits on what we can talk about when we're talking about Jesus? You know those folks who make claims that we can't talk about politics because they think we're talking about American politics? Folks who are afraid that we're going to bring into the discussion and talk about things that are conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat. But that's not the conversation I'm inviting us to have at all, nor do I believe that we are invited to have. The conversation is that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King and Jesus has a kingdom with a right way of doing things. Not only does Jesus tell us and invite us to go to Jerusalem and Judea, he invites the disciples and us to go to Samaria. I can hear Peter and John talking. Are you sure you want us to go to Samaria? Samaritans are half-breeds. They're folks that we look down on. They're folks who don't know how to worship right. They don't go to our church, I'm sorry, our temple. Folks, these are people who don't know how Jesus worked. My aunt would call them no-count folks. Some of us have words like ghetto, trash. You know those people. Those people that we think are worse than us. Those people that we think if they would just get, to get themselves together, if they would just dress right, act right, talk right, and just obey the rules. Those people who like the Samaritan woman who met Jesus at the well, and who from the outside looked like she had a shady place, but ended up being a mighty evangelist. Is it possible that Jesus is causing us to encounter those folks, to go to that neighborhood, to engage with those people? 
Finally, Jesus tells them to go to, to the Gentiles. You know, the very people who have been enslaving them, who have conquered them and killed them, who have a history of destroying them and their center of worship. Surely, surely God cannot mean to send me to my enemy. And yet we find in the second passage for this morning in Acts 10 and 9 through 15 is that it's exactly what God does with Peter. This passage says that the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never taken anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. See, while it's really interesting to think about this challenge to invite someone to lunch as a challenge that we're taking Jesus and us to somebody, so we're going to help get them straight, I think what God is trying to teach us is that many of us have blind spots. We have blind spots because of our cultural, our racial, our ethnic, our gender, our income, and our sexual identities. We think that everybody should be like us. And the problem with thinking that everybody should be like us or think like us is that many of us don't even know that we have blind spots. In fact, the way that we learn that we have blind spots is kind of like this. We go to college and find out that somebody's not raised like us. They come with a bunch of junk. <laughs> or we get married and find out that our spouse is wrong, been raised wrong, didn't hear what was right. Don't believe me, just ask your wife. <laughs> and what's really both sad and that is amazing is that most often our blind spots are rooted in culture and tradition. It's like the old joke with the um, newly married couple where a young husband had the unfortunate idea of asking his wife, why did she make pot roast a certain way? And, and reminded her that it was not like his mother's. Y'all see where this is going, don't you? And so his wife said, well, this is the way that my mother and grandmother makes it. And I know you think your mom cooks good, but she doesn't know it much at all. And so this is how it is, and it's going to be good. But my mom and grandma will be here, and they'll be able to tell you more about why we do it this way. He went and asked her mother, hey, why do you all cut the, the roast off at the end? And she said, well, this is where my mom's already done it, and it's always been good. I know you think your mom knows how to cook, but she really doesn't. Now you're going to get some good eating. So he asked the grandmother, why do y'all cut the roast off before you put it in the pot? And the grandmother says, well, when I was newly married, we didn't have much. I had a small pot, and so I had to cut the end of the roast off to put it in the pot <laughs> so it would fit. And so what that did is it left us something for the rest of the week, but I was able to cook my roast. See, the issue is that many of us in our traditions, we have stories that are like that pot roast story. We think it's right because it's worked for us. We can't fathom that people have done something different. See, what I think that God, through Pastor Dave, during this lunch challenge is trying to teach us that while it is common for us to point out the faults of others, people look this way and your wife won't know that I'm talking about you. 
the most common blind spot is believing that others have them, but we don't. Which brings us to the Peter and Cornelius story. So I'm sure Peter, the man of God, the great apostle, you know, preaches one day and 3,000 folks come to Jesus. This is no slouch when it comes to the kingdom of God, but Peter has a problem. He has a blind spot. And I'm sure that blind spot causes him to have a running story about Cornelius. First of all, he's the enemy. He is a soldier of high rank, and he's the one that oppresses us. Second, he's wealthy. I bet that he got his money from some kind of trickery. Third, and most importantly, he's unclean. He is a Gentile. Peter, because he's not there, has no way of knowing of all the good works that Cornelius has done. And Peter is completely unaware of his own blind spots. Jesus in Acts 1 gives him the commission to go to the ends of the earth, to meet with Gentiles, to meet his enemy. And yet, Peter is at the ends of the earth physically, but he still has blind spots spiritually. What Peter doesn't understand is that God can't keep the church bound to Jerusalem or bound to Jewish ways of being. What Peter can't see, but what God knows is that some 2,000 years later, on a Sunday in March, a crazy black woman preacher will be at Middletown Christian Church talking to a bunch of other Gentile folks about the goodness of God. And what Peter can't see, God knows. And what, Peter wants to, what God wants to tell Peter and us, this is my kingdom. And I'll do what I want. I'll invite who I want. And we'll have worship the way I want. So God has to teach Peter and us a lesson that no matter who we think is unclean, who we think is somehow less moral, less devout, less classy, less hip, less human than us, God, God, you know, God, not our buddy God, not our friend God, God, the creator of the universe, God, Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider, God. Jehovah Nisi, our battle fire, God is no respecter of persons even when we are. What God is trying to show Peter and us is that our prejudices and our preferences don't determine my kingdom no matter how long you've walked with me and no matter how anointed you think you are, I still have something to show you. And I need to expose your blind spot because I want to do something greater through you. Peter, I'm not interested in you or folks like you or the folks you try to make like you and be like you. I'm interested in the kingdom. So let me wrap this up with regard to our Lenten challenge and the passages we have this morning. First, the challenge of Acts 1 and 8 and Pastor Dave's challenge to invite someone different than us from lunch has nothing to do with us carrying Jesus in a suitcase to tell people about all that we know. It has everything to do with the fact that God is trying to bring everyone together. And just like that sheet that had all kinds of animals together in one container, God is trying to show us that his kingdom is like that. Secondly, and most importantly, I think that God is trying to help us get back on mission. Many of us come to church like we go to Walmart. We go to church as individuals. We come to the table pretty much as if we're like the ingredients that are made with bread. 
We come and we hang out with people that are like us. We stay on our own little pew. We stay with our own folks. And that's fine, but that folks won't make bread. In a world that's terribly divided on a wide variety of issues, when we should be bread and salt and light for the world, we are divided. Divided. And we say that God is good. And we say that God is for everyone. It reminds me of a song I sang as a child at the black church in New Jersey. It said, the world is hungry for the living bread. Lift the Savior up for them to see. People are not impressed by our Bible stickers and our big Bibles and our Jesus pins and our crosses. They want to know, how is the church getting along? And if we can't get along, no one will get along. I recently heard a survey that's disturbing to me. And that survey said that in this country, when they took the 10 most segregated cities and lumped their factors together, that the church was 31 points higher than the most segregated cities collectively in the fact of how we're separated from one another. That ought to give us cause for concern. That ought to cause us to be better. In my denomination, when we talk about the communion table, we don't only talk about this relationship with God. We talk about this one. We talk about the fact that we are charged as Christians to love God with all our heart, all our being, all our mind, all our strength. That is right, but we are also caused to love others as we love God and as we love ourselves. We ask that when we come to the table for the Holy Spirit to pour out his spirit on all of these elements and all this individuality, and we ask the Holy Spirit to somehow gather us up in the oven of the Holy Spirit and make us bread, make us greater together than we can be by ourselves, make us something that the world will come to see and feast on, and that points the way to Christ. As you come to the table this morning, as we've heard this Lenten challenge, I invite you to think about the fact of doing this challenge so that you and I might discover where our blind spots are. To remember that on the first time that Jesus hosted a dinner, that there were all kinds of folks there, folks that didn't get along, someone who betrayed him, but the truth of the matter is, if we had been there, our sins would have betrayed him. We would have denied him. But on that night, he took the bread, gave thanks to God, blessed it, broke it, said, take, eat, this is my body given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. In the same manner, he took that cup, gave thanks to God, blessed it, and encouraged each of us to drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of my new covenant, poured out for you, but not only for you, but for many. In these ways, remember me. In my tradition, what we say is pour out your Holy Spirit on this gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we, in all of our individuality, that we and all of our differences around race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, belief system, political party, that we together in the fire of the Holy Spirit might be, God, the, the bread that you need for a world that's desperately hungry for peace.
The Lord has set his table. The Lord has set his table. 